What's up, good people? And welcome to episode five of Good Things with Matt Wells. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. You are the fuel that powers this podcast engine, right? You know what I mean? Like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? If a podcast spins around in the digital universe and nobody subscribes, nobody listens, does the podcast even exist? (laughs) I don't know what I'm getting on with, but I'm going to drink some green tea. I guess all I'm trying to say is that I appreciate you being here. It means a lot. So let's get to it, all right? Back in 2008, I'm going to say, I interviewed Ozzy Osbourne. You know, the thing about uh, going back in my memory and my mind and recalling these interviews, first of all, it's a, it's a real trip and I really have been enjoying it. But, you know, they're kind of just memories of memories, right? Like I haven't seen this footage in a long time. Some of it I haven't seen since the day or the, the week the interview happened. This one in particular with Ozzy, we're talking like, you know, 14 years ago. I know the footage exists out there somewhere, in the library probably, at Much Music. You know, I have some photos, I have some clips, but the Ozzy one I haven't thought about since I did it. In fact, I'm looking at the picture of Ozzy and I right now I have on my wall, and, uh, and I'll post it, um, I'll post it on, uh, on the Instagrams so you can see it. But what I remember about that interview, there's a couple things. Obviously, I don't remember verbatim how these conversations went. I remember moments that that stand out, and there's like definitely sentiments that stick with me. With Ozzy, there's a couple things I remember. First, we were sitting pretty close together. You'll see it in in the photo when I post it. And I I recall Ozzy being a spit talker. And at some point a piece of Ozzy Osbourne spittle left his mouth and landed on my bottom lip. And he was in the middle of a story and I didn't want to be rude and wipe my mouth and make him think I didn't want his spit there. But I didn't. I started thinking about all the things that Ozzy might have done in his life. And um, it eventually just dissolved into my lip so i think in some in some metaphysical way ozzy and i are one but i'll take it the other thing i remember is uh, this was just a couple of years after his show the osbournes had ended i think you know if you remember that show it's where the cameras were in with him and his wife Sharon and their family and you know became pretty popular and it was I guess it probably was the beginning of all those sort of reality shows for better or for worse and and the thing that was going around at the time was that Ozzy was slowing down his speech was slurred he he had to have a teleprompter to, to remember Sabbath lyrics when he went on tour I just remember that being in the universe but I, like, I never would have asked Ozzy about that. I never would have said, you know, are you of sound mind? It's just, it's just, you know, it's rude. But for whatever reason, 
I do remember Ozzy making a point of telling me that he remembered his mother-in-law's phone number from when he was like a teenager and he would call up his now wife, Sharon Osborne. And he rhymed off the number, like from, you know, 40 years ago or whatever. And, and from that, we got into this conversation about his relationship with Sharon. And, and I think I asked him something like, how do you make um, a marriage last so long? How do you, how do you stay um, connected and, and, and keep the relationship strong, not only after all those years, but through everything that they had been through, not only through their whole career, but specifically at that time, like letting the whole world see their life on this TV show. And I'll never forget, he, he sort of took a minute and then he asked me if I was married and I told him I was and at the time it was, it was pretty new, I was newly married. And he just said, just love, man. Love will, love will get you through anything. And I thought that was pretty cool. Certainly coming from Ozzy Osbourne in that moment. You know, you never know. You never know what's going to happen when you have a conversation with someone. You don't know if you're going to connect, how comfortable they're going to feel, what you're going to talk about. I figured we'd talk about Sabbath and we'd, you know, talk about music, but we ended up talking about love, which was so cool. Now, for anybody who knows, Sharon Osbourne and Ozzy Osbourne have definitely had a, a bumpy road. It's been very public. I'm not here to debate, you know, who's right, who's wrong. Despite what we think we might know about them, we don't really know anything. We can all be armchair relationship experts with celebrities. And, you know, certainly they um, have to deal with that. They're putting themselves out there. You have a reality show where people are going to watch how you exist together. People are going to comment on it. And that's fine. Not debating that. All I'm saying is that we don't really know what's going on. But what we can be sure of, at least I can be sure of, if somebody's together that long and through those ups and downs, there is love. There is companionship. You have, you have to love somebody to, to make it work that long. Relationships are hard. Marriages are difficult things. You need to work hard at them. And I guess, I don't know the exact number, but I have to imagine Ozzy and Sharon have been together 40 plus years. And, and, you know, there's actually in the works, there's a biopic. There's a biopic in the works about the relationship between Ozzy and Sharon. It's going to be this movie. And there's a quote where Sharon talked about it. And she said, our relationship at times was often wild, insane, and dangerous. But it was our undying love that kept us together. She said that in like, 2021, when they announced this movie. It was in 2008 that Ozzy said something very similar to me. So I believe it. And you know, the other thing with Sharon and Ozzy is that not only did their relationship as lovers, as friends, as partners last all these years, they also worked together. 
Sharon has been Ozzy's manager for years. That's not easy. You know? But they get through it no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody else thinks, because of love. My guests know something about that. And yes, I did say guests. There are two guests on the podcast. Andrea Aragon and her husband, Sean McCann, who you might know from a band called Great Big C. They have co-authored a book together. It's called One Good Reason, and it documents their life together. Specifically, it documents their life together through Sean's alcoholism. Sean was a high-functioning alcoholic for over 20 years uh, while Great Big C reached the height of success in the music business. But at the same time, it was tearing their relationship apart and their family apart. And Andrea had to make sure that didn't happen. Sean will also be the first to tell you that his alcoholism almost killed him. And if it wasn't for Andrea, maybe it would have. Now, since Sean has become sober now over 10 years, He's become a renowned mental health advocate and a strong voice and supporter for people with addictions and survivors of sexual abuse. And one of the things he always says is that people drink and do drugs for a reason. Sean's reason was that he was suppressing the trauma of being sexually abused by his trusted family priest as a young boy. When he made that revelation to the world, it was also the first time Andrea heard it. At that point, they had been through a lot together. But this was the beginning of something new. A whole new road ahead of them to try to fix each other. And as I said, the book is called One Good Reason. And Sean would be the first to tell you that Andrea is his one good reason. And she loved him enough to stick with him through the darkest times until she could finally figure out why he was drinking. And if it wasn't for her, he never would have stopped. Love. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And this is Andrea Aragon and her husband, Sean McCann, on Good Things with Matt Wells. Andrea, Sean, are you ready to tell me something good? Are you ready to tell Matt something good? I was born ready. <laughs> I only want to talk about the good things. We've gone through enough of the bad things. Truth. And Lord knows this world has gone through bad I things. I think you're a good thing. Aw. Yeah, we're ready to talk about good things. Oh, that's good. How sweet is McCann? Um, okay, so I've known you guys for about... 10 years, but when our friendship was just beginning, it was around the time that Sean had just gotten sober. And at that time, like, I had no idea what was happening behind the scenes, obviously, which, you know, you detail in your book. But I wanted to ask you if you could take me back to that time, whenever it was 10, 11 years ago, Great Big C is newly fractured. Your marriage is fractured. Sean, you're newly sober. And I wonder what... What do you guys remember about that version of Andrea and Sean? 
That's a good question. I, uh, my, I was so sad then. <clears throat> I just remember being very sad and just lost. And I felt helpless. Like I really mm -hmm. felt helpless and out of control at that time. And, uh, so I don't, I don't, I try not to remember that person. I don't look, it's just like the worst time. <clears throat> and even after like there was worse drinking periods and ups and downs in my life. And I do keep it in mind in a broader context, but that particular time that the end of the band, the sobering up dark, it was a dark, the darkest of my days. And, uh, you know, when I met you, I think I was still heading, I hadn't hit the bottom. And then everything after that, I mean, it was very hard, but uh, as time, over time, I feel like the further I get away from those days, the better. I uh, I remember sadness too, but I remember a lot of anger. I was really angry. At I, me. I, yeah, I, I, you and us. And I thought, I guess I thought that once you got sober, it would all be okay. Like everything was going to snap back into place real easily um even though that was you know hindsight that was a ridiculous thought you know the boys were five and three or six and four around in there so I was still in the thick of it with with the kids you know they were little and um I was so angry still yeah I was disappointed in uh, <clears throat> my initial experience of sobriety as well because it didn't <laughs> it didn't really Such make everything better overnight I thought my voice would get better and it didn't. It actually got worse because I was singing the same level, a uh, shantyman level, and uh, but I didn't have the tobacco and the whiskey to harden up the chords like boot leather. So that was the first big surprise for me. Yeah, it felt like it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then I started to like realize, <clears throat> especially with regards to the band, that I did. I don't like this. I don't like the way we're doing these things. This doesn't. And I just. And it was only because I paid attention. I woke up. And, uh, of course, that those it's almost like I was asleep for 10 years. And I woke up and I shut up at the table and I started to raise my hand and make these suggestions. And everyone was like, go, go back to sleep. <laughs> We're doing fine. Be quiet. Everything's good. You just, we'll just scream when we need you to scream, Shanty Man. But otherwise, stay asleep. Yeah. Because what you're suggesting will be change and work and stuff like that. So Different. So that wasn't... Uh, <clears throat> The feedback wasn't positive on that level either. So it just, you know, they were the they were the testing times, I guess, and we just kept going and uh, persevered in spite of it. But there's a lesson there because if you are newly new to recovery and you think it's, you know, my heart goes out to people who are trying it and they're three months in and they're like, I'm three months and I'm six months and I'm nine months and I'm a year because <clears throat> I know it takes it takes time just to get to the to what do you call it your baseline again? Is that the, what it's called? Well, there's a baseline is your norm, you know, and I think, you know, when you come out of an addiction, it takes a long while to actually get back to zero, wow. but that's what you're aiming for. You're not aiming for a hundred percent. It's like an anorexic. It's take, <clears throat> it takes you a while to get up to your base weight, your regular weight again. Yeah. So your, your hopes may be well beyond that, but zero is what's achievable. Wow. So when did you think you got there to that zero? <laughs> I'm still reaching for zero. <laughs> I don't want to discourage anybody. That's a lie. No, I hit zero after, it was somewhere after about a year, maybe two years, because there was... Do you think it was London? Maybe London with Polly, maybe when I started to, you know... 
because that was about a year and a half after. Yeah, maybe that, but also like even uh, after I got off the bus, right? Which yeah. was a year. It was I had to get off the bus. I had to go through all that, and that didn't go well, as we know. It was just um, I had to process a lot of that, and that was you know up up and down, anger, despair. Uh, but it was after I would say two, even three, three years before I kind of understood what was actually out there for me mm-hmm. and who I actually was and how I was going to interact with the rest of the world. That's interesting, um, you know, because through the time I, I've been able to spend with you um, and watching you uh, work through your sobriety and also um, being able to see the evolution of your speeches where one of the mainstays is people drink and do drugs for a reason. But what you're talking about is, I think, is that this baseline is not just stopping the drinking or the doing drugs. It's what comes after. It's having to deal with the things that the drinking and the drugs were helping you suppress, right? The big mistake people make is that they think the work the work is over when you quit. And it really it just begins when you quit. That's when the hard work starts. And then it's a real test. And it's only perseverance that gets anyone through, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. You know, I was um, I was thinking about the time. This the same time frame when when the three of us connected as friends and it was it was at a time in both of our lives where, Sean, you were getting ready to walk away from Great Big C. I was getting ready to leave much music and we were both facing this big career change. We were walking away from our careers. Two idiots. <laughs> yeah. We were walking away from our careers to, to try something different. And I know how that felt for me. Like I sort of felt in some small way, my identity was sort of attached to, to, to much music. And I wonder for you, or maybe Andrea, I should ask you first, did you, did you notice as, as Sean walked away from the band. Did that affect him in any way? Did it change his identity? Did it make things worse? Um, geez, no, I didn't. I if if I saw it, if I saw it affect him, it was in a positive way. Only because he, I saw him being able to kind of shed the 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 shtick that he was playing like cause he was never like that that screamer guy on I mean you know you've seen him when we were having dinner and stuff he was never that guy and it was only when he was drinking that he ever got that way so I was more than happy for him to leave you know if if I wanted to have him change I knew that was part of it maybe not oh yeah no definitely leaving the band I was happy about that wow interesting what about you, Sean? Did you feel a loss of identity? Did you feel anything negative from putting a pause on the band? Yeah, I mean there there was a there was a um I mean it's a lot to walk away from. It's, you know, there was a lot of work put in. So I felt like I'd built something and I was unhappy with it artistically in the end. I just didn't feel real to me and that's again a result of sobering up and and like no, no. There was my sober self and my not sober self. And my not sober self was like, if I just don't, if I just stay this way and don't do anything and say nothing, I'll make oodles of money. And it's just like, I'll just keep my head down and do that. And you put in your time, but it felt in retrospect like a prison. And I don't, I don't mean to be too negative about this, but it was just like, I was stuck there. 
when I came out of it is when I felt like, oh, I just started to see like, but we could do this, this, and this. And I saw potential everywhere and I was all excited and I had this energy, you know, so I was buoyed by all of that. Uh, not that it made much difference because again, I was the one that sobered up. Not, you know, I'm the one that changed. And I, so I always say I take one third of the blame for all that stuff, but I don't, um, I think it was necessary. I would say this about me. Like once I, once I see the truth, uh, for what it is. And I think that's a big part of what you need to do as an addict. Once you know something, you can't unknow it. So if you know that you're an addict, great. I know what to do. I need to stop drinking. Then if you look outside yourself and say, what are my triggers? And you look at the band I was in, it's like, I need to, I either need to change the band or leave it. That was that simple. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been through, I've had a few relationships in my life. Um, <laughs> for the listeners who can't see what I see, uh, Sean is looking at Andrea afraid of, of how she might react to this next and, part. Yeah. And, and honestly, Great Big C was the longest one. Yeah. And still is. I think Andrea and I have been together 18 years. I'll let you know after I got to do this, some math. I mean, me and Bob have been dating for 25 if you add it up. Like, it's a lot. And, uh, so, but when I, when I, when I break up with somebody, I, I break up with them. Like I, I, I don't, I, I go the other way. I don't look back. <clears throat> I try not to, I don't revisit things once those decisions are made. And again, once you know something, you can't unknow it. <clears throat> and that's, that was an important thing for me. I can't, I'm not a multitasker in that way. I can't look back and forward at the same time. So, so did I, you answer his question? Um, I think so. I think I think what I'm trying to say was, did it hamper my identity? Maybe it cha it changed my velocity and direction entirely. Once I accepted that this thing was not good for me, like like other things, like whiskey, like tobacco, like drugs, this particular scenario, the way Great Big C was functioning then, um, or dysfunctioning then, that was bad for my my alcoholism, my drug addiction, that was going to put me over the edge. I had to get away from that. So that wasn't, it was the right choice to make. It wasn't an easy one, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I guess for you, it wasn't so much that you um, dealt with a, a loss of identity, but you had to change your identity because you weren't living your true self, right? No. You had to change your identity for the sake of you and your family. Yep. And, you know, waving the truth banner around is fine if you're like new and energetic and want to be at it but not everyone wants to be waving the truth flag around all the time and i would argue that what great it. big c offered wasn't necessarily a true thing you know from going from the message of you're okay i'm okay we're all lucky bastards nudge nudge wink wink let's uh let's have a drink and forget our problems to no let's people drink and use drugs for reasons let's all talk about what our reasons are <laughs> And go in, in this way. That is the opposite way. That is the as far away from the path we were on together than I could be. Not quite the Saturday night out you no. used to preach. <laughs> and I I mean, I was trying to preach the alternative gospel there. Right. And I still believe you can have a great Saturday night out and you can go through all this stuff. And I, I believe it's a more gratifying and more rewarding experience. And it's what I've do, done for 10 years successfully. But it is not the same thing, no. And you can understand why we're not on the same stage in that, to that extent. You know, I really love talking to you guys about this because it's together. You know, everything that you do is such a shared experience. And that's what was so beautiful about the book, co-authored by 
uh, a wife and a husband about these shared experiences. You, you collectively went through the, the rise and the fall of the band. You collectively went through the rise and the fall of your, of your own relationship. And I want to ask you about the book because even though it talks about these shared experiences and that's what's so amazing uh, about the way that um, the book is presented, the writing process was very much not a shared experience, right? <laughs> Andrea's shaking her head. She's saying no. Um, you, but you were very much secluded from each other as you wrote about these shared experiences. Well, we're here today together to do this podcast for you, but I haven't seen Andrea in three months. She's taken up residence in another We've town. We've seen way too much of each other in the last two years. Yeah. Would you still be here if it wasn't for uh, COVID? <laughs> If you didn't have to be here, <laughs> would you still be here with me? Uh, yes. Yes. We'll put up, we'll answer that later. <laughs> That's in our epilogue mm. for the book. <laughs> Working together is hard. It's hard. It's hard anyway, because, yeah. um, you know, cooperation is hard. We learn it in kindergarten. You know, it's sharing and, is hard. And we communicate really differently. And so we had to be away from each other when we wrote. Like, I don't, Sean went to Banff. He wrote some of it in Banff. You wrote some of it. You went to a little cottage out here in Ontario, right? Yeah, I, my process, I need to be alone to make music or anything artistic. It's usually the creative process. Executing it in studios and stuff is one thing, but creating the actual whatever it's going to be. And I went to a hotel for <clears throat> a couple days to fine-tune what I had. Um, so we were not with each other at all and and reading like reading Sean's chapters when when I first got them I hadn't I didn't know the specifics on his abuse I didn't know the specifics on the abuser and and events that led up to it in his history with the church and his parents history and his family's history and all of that with the church so that was it was really interesting to me but just heartbreaking I realized that it was not about me and us at all like what he was going through his sadness his despondency was not had nothing to do with not wanting to be married he was just trying to survive in his new sobriety and all that stuff so that was a that was a huge revelation for me and we're you know as he alluded to 13 15 18 years in now and I just learned that so it was it was for me interesting to read his chapters and I think vice versa am I right well I just didn't think there was a book there based on what I was prepared to share you know and uh, it no matter how I wrote it down, it was just all me. So if anything, this book, and we, you know, it cost us publishing deals, but we, I, once I saw Andrea's journals that her own life, you know, this, I, so I started to see, oh, there's a reason we're together. We're both fucked up. I mean, it's not, <laughs> so there's a reason we probably understand each other. And, uh, and there's, that's probably why it works. In answer to your original question, it works together because we work together, but I think it, I th I'm glad she agreed to do it because, you know, what I've what we both learned that uh, what do you say? It's addiction doesn't exist in a vac a vacuum. You know, it's literally about everything else around you. You know, and uh, that you don't you're too busy drowning to to kind of reach out around. And I still suffer from that. I wish I had more time to be more available to everyone. You know, and uh, but I spend a lot of in reality a lot of time just dealing with my own stuff you know, daily. And I do it so I don't drink or use drugs. Like it's, you know, day to day. That's the reality. You know, we've 
obviously touched on some of these lower moments um, in your life together, these shared low moments like you detail so wonderfully in the book. But if I were to ask you guys to sort of look back on that journey together, that shared journey together of these dark times that you've talked about and, and that are in the book, and I, and I were to ask you now about what, what good came out of it, like, did good come out of it? <laughs> Is our silence deafening? No, of course good came out of it. Uh, I think... <laughs> Do you mean the book or just in general? <laughs> well, I guess what I mean is, and certainly on theme with the, this podcast, is that we're giving, hopefully, our listeners a glimpse into people that they know or admire so they can find things that they relate with or connect with. And, and having you guys on the podcast, this is the first time we have a, a couple, a married couple, who have basically been to rock bottom together but fought to come out the other side. So what did you learn about yourselves? What good came out of the darkness, I guess? It, I believe that anything hard is worth doing. The harder things lead to the greater rewards, and I still believe that of, um, of the book and of our relationship. So to me, it's an ongoing process, and this was just one more thing, and there's going to be other things. But, you know, we've learned that we can function well together. And that to me matters because I've been in relationships that have even lasted longer that ended poorly. So I'm aware that, that it can all go pear-shaped pretty quick. But I don't feel that way about us. And I haven't since I sobered up. So that's reassuring for me. And I would say also that, like, the book wasn't my first choice of things to do. I'd rather write songs any day. But I, my own kind of... When I saw what Andrea had to offer there and what I'd learned from being in the mental health industry for a few years, sharing my story with addicts and stuff, was that there's a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of branding and not a lot of doing. And I think that our life together, not mine, but only together, because I wouldn't be successful without her. Uh, so what we've learned together, I think, was worth sharing because I think it's practical and useful. And I know, like, from the people I've met who've, who've, who've survived and struggled, like Sheldon Kennedy or Clara Hughes, that it's really important when you find someone who, who's actually willing to share but something useful and practical that can actually help other people, as opposed to the corporate happy speak that everyone who does struggle is usually hearing on social media from our governments and from major institutions. Like, they're just not useful. Noise is not useful. Working is useful. And um, anyway, I think our particular story offers an example of that. And uh, if we weren't committed, it would never have worked, obviously. So I think our relationship is not a, that it's perfect in any way or whatever. It's just <laughs> we put it on paper so people could see it's imperfect, very flawed. But, you know, we didn't give up. And it's what success is achievable when you don't. And yeah. that's why I, I say I say that, and I think it answers the question because I think that's where we are, right now. Yeah, I think that for us, it's the, the healing is a process, right? It, it doesn't end. We we have to every single day choose to be honest with each other, choose to say the hard things, to look each other in the eye, 
Um, and we, we want to do that not only with each other, but with our children and then with the community that we have around us. We've had hard conversations with you, Matt, about any number of things, with Clara or Sheldon or whomever we allow in our circle. And we, we demand truth of each other and of the people around us. And I think that in and of itself makes everything that we went through worth it because I was living in a pretty big lie for a good part of my life. Sean was just by the fact that he was an alcoholic. Um, and those aren't the examples that we want to set for our kids, of course. But in terms of the book, I think us going through all of that was worth it because like Sean said, we're just like everybody else. We have our shit every single day. We have to choose every single day to fight and work and, and be better and try and do more. You know, he's, he's dealing with stuff on his own personal level every day. So am I, every single person in this world does that. We are, we are no, you know, greater or less than anybody else. We are exact same. So if we can do it and you say this all the time, Sean, if we can do it, us two, you know, numbskulls, good God, you can do it. You know, that's that's worth saying. That's worth showing people because there's not a lot of hope out there sometimes, especially the last two years, right? I don't know. I think it, I 100% think it's worth it. I don't think we would be together um, if we didn't do this work. We for sh- I know for sure we wouldn't be together. This is, uh, you know, we've learned this is not the popular message to be <laughs> preaching. This help yourself do the work. We've learned from experience that this is a sure this will work, but it requires enormous amounts of effort and patience and time. This is not the popular, <laughs> this is not the quick fix that everyone wants. It's not the 30-second soundbite. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not, but it'll work. The difference is it'll work, and uh, that's why we persist. I mean, and now we're, with the COVID thing and all that, you know, I think that the stresses are going to be magnified so much in, in, in a real way for addicts and everybody, you know. So I think we have a role to play here. As an artist, I... I believe it's important for for me to be the best version of myself artistically is to put the truth out, not some version that I want to sell, you know, and uh, I've been guilty of both and I'll stick with the latter. By that, I mean the first, not the latter, the first part, the true part, <laughs> the true part. <laughs> um, you, you know, you bring up COVID and obviously that has affected everybody in in different ways, you know, for, for you guys, Sean, you as a, as a musician, a touring musician, this obviously affected your business. Um, for you guys as, as co-authors of this book, it affected your ability to go out and, and do book tours. I mean, I know you released just, um, as, as we were, you know, being dealt this COVID hand. So, you know, here you are, you've, you've lived this extraordinary life together um and battle the ups and downs together so how do you navigate the new struggles and obstacles that that come at you you know it's almost like you've been through so much what what else could happen but life always throws us new obstacles and new struggles so once you get through something so difficult as you have, does that prepare you differently to, to, um, to deal with what's thrown at us? You know, life is life and life is, it can be difficult, but you gotta be, it's the grind. It's the grind. Yeah. It's like every day it's showing continuing up, to grind. Yeah. getting out of bed and getting, not, not getting your, drunk, you know, like and doing your workout and 
you know, putting on maybe faking it a little bit until you make it in the morning at 6 a.m. when your kids get up and you're like, yay, let's go to school. You know? (laughs) Yeah, there's been no big things. There's been a series of all the things, the records I put out, the Help Yourself, the One Good Reason, the book, the, you know, we've chosen a path and the path just goes on and on. Well, the path is not to give up. We might write more. We might not. But we will continue raising uh, some human beings, and he will continue being sober. I will continue, you know, trying to make sure that he stays sober and that I stay truthful. And it's that's the hard work. And so that's been my biggest obstacle. Wow, I can't speak now. (laughs) It's the hope that hurts the most. (laughs) You got to let that... You got to let it in. It's banging on the door every morning and you let it in and it comes in and some days it kicks your ass. So that's it. You can't deny hope. You got to, you got to, you got to live with hope and allow for hope. Yeah. And, um, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not gotten any easier. You mentioned like my life is built on being out in front on the road in front of people uh, in crowds of people, and uh, and you and you and I, you and Andrea both know that. For me, there's as a professional, yes, that's what I do for a living, and I love to do that for a living. But as an addict, these these are the, I'm not a part of any program. I'm not in AA. I had trouble with the higher power thing. I just don't. I've done it on my own and with good friends like you and like Andrea and some others. But but the loss of those meetings because that's they're my meetings that shows. has my shows yeah. like I create my own meeting, so they mean more to me than money and um, I've felt that that's been my that's the the biggest challenge for me in the last two years, and that's a huge thing. But we found a way to get through it. The book I guess got us through a part of it. Just the lack all that stuff that we had to kind of reinvent our promotional duties and stuff and do it anyway, you know and. And I guess maybe that's our saying, do, do it, it anyway. anyway. <laughs> Instead of just do it, do it anyway. Do it anyway. <laughs> that's the new, that's their motto. It's going to suck. Do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a million dollar slogan. Um, how, how has parenting been for you guys during uh, COVID? Uh, online schooling, trying to police how many people can come in your house at a certain time. How did you, how did you navigate that? Andrea looks after them. I don't even, <laughs> I don't Such even. a lie. Okay. I can't even remember their name. <laughs> I'm trying to block that. Don't hurt me. Like I don't hardly, I'm trying to forget them. <laughs> we, um, I think like every other parent out there, I am so sad for my kids. Like I'm just heartbroken for my 16 year old who's, entire high school life has been mainly online, who um, is as, you know, outgoing as he isn't because he's an introvert, is even more introverted now, who is more comfortable in his room on a screen more than ever. It breaks my heart. Uh, I don't, it's been hard. And, you know, that whole fake it till you make it, I I have to do it some days because I just want to crawl in that room and look at a screen too. So we force ourselves to go outside. As you know, we have two dogs and we force ourselves to get outside every day and we make them do it. And we hear all the bitching and screaming about, I don't want to go out. I'm blah, blah, blah. Yep. They're going out anyway. So we, we try to make it work with healthy doses of outside time, no matter how cold it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 
for the first six months to a year, I was like, you know, resistance is good for you. If it's difficult, we should, it's a great sign. And of course, from kayaking, trying to drag them out to do stuff. And I mean, that's worn off They're They don't listen. They don't hear that anymore, but they do live with us. And we work out of our house like everybody now. So my hope is that they, what they see is uh, pa- uh, parents who just work hard for them, you know, and to make sure the ship keeps going. And uh, lead by example, you know, do, do, do. And, uh, I mean, look after their needs and support them as we can. And I, But, you know, we have to come to the term, the reality of it is, with the COVID thing, I believe, is this is something we're going to have to live with. It's not that they're going back to anything safe or a better situation. They're not. It's just that we can't do this anymore. Right. We can't stay home. We weren't built for this. And, uh, you know, I don't know if my career will come back. I don't know if we'll ever go back to gathering in, in large rooms or in large groups of people. But if we don't, I'll be the guy who figures out how to gather in some capacity, whether it's the backyard, you know, great big me tour, whatever it is. Like, I'll light fires in your back. I'll show up with wood and, and some matches. If I can gather 25 maximum, safely spaced out. If that's what's left, that's exactly what I intend to do. And I can tell Andrea that she's not in. She's not backing this idea. <laughs> I am. It's fine. If it gets you out of the house, I'm happy with it. I will. I will bring a friggin' tent. You know, like I. I will do whatever it takes to do whatever I can until I can't. I think parenting right now is really hard, Matt. And I think that parents have to be gracious to their kids and recognize that they're growing up in a completely different space than we ever envisioned for them and allow them to grow differently than us and maybe learn from them as well how they're growing. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I don't think it could be said any better. And um, and, and, and you guys know I, I deeply connect with that. Yeah, I do. The best thing we can teach them is resilience. I still believe yeah. it. Like, I don't know what, I don't know. There's other things you can do, and there's an awful lot of stuff that doesn't work, and there's a lot of cool shit to say that doesn't mean anything. But what, when it boils down to it, resilience, being stronger in general, protects you from things in general. Not makes you right. able to withstand uh, hardships in general. So I'm hoping that they see in us people who, who, who just don't quit. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. <laughs> Do it anyway. It's not that we're not going to not do it just because it's harder. We're going to have an upside down swoosh. It's we're brilliant. We're not going to not do it just because it's harder today or tomorrow. We're going to do, do it, it anyway. anyway. You're going to make so much money. That's my new record. Do it anyway. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Do it. I will buy that record or I'll, you know, I'll download it and you'll make pennies. Uh, I want to read something uh, to you. Um, this is something you wrote, Andrea. From your, it's, from the, it's from your book. It's from the book, One Good Reason, that everybody should buy. Um, <clears throat> you say, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a lo- long paragraph, but I'm going to break it up. I'm not a therapist. I'm a mother of two boys with a political science degree. That's it. But I know perseverance. I know loyalty. And I love. I know pain and joy and everything in between. And most of all, I know that facing all the shit you don't want to face will inevitably end in something better than what you started with. Facing all the shit you don't want to face will inevitably end in something better than you started with. You guys still believe that? 100%. It's the hope that hurts the most. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I believe that. Yes, I do. 
<laughs> well said. Absolutely. Do it anyway. That's right. Do it anyway. Copyright. Um, okay, guys, this is how we end things uh, on the Good Things Podcast. Are you ready? I love this podcast. I love that name, by the way. Thank you. I hate podcasts. <laughs> oh but I love you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for making the sacrifice. You do oh. it anyway, right? Do it anyway. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, yeah. right. Huge sacrifice. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, you know I love you guys. And I love your book. Uh, and I think, um, I think your message is so powerful and, and can help a lot of people. Okay, here we go. Tell me something good about your life. My kids. Outdoors. This is good. There's two of you. So you, get two, you get two answers. Uh, tell me about a good memory. My first horseback riding experience. When I was like nine, eight or nine. Uh, I would go to kids being born then. They stick, I remember those, those, there's not many things I remember clearly, but when they, they came into the world, both of them, very positive, overwhelming emotions for me and very clearly remembered, which is rare for me. Nice one. Okay, tell me a good song or good album that we should mm. listen to. Uh, to make us feel good. No shameless plugs either. No, I, I, I was going <laughs> to... There's so many feel-good records. Um, James Brown, I feel good. Do, 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 do. You know that I would have. That's what you're suggesting? I feel suggesting? good. Dun, dun. Why wouldn't you? I don't, I don't know. It's just it's a, a bit too much on the head, is it? <laughs> a bit too much nail on the head for you, is it? <laughs> a bit too obvious. Um... I think, and I, here's, here's what you need to know. If you're going to be listening to music and you only have a couple of things you can listen to, you should listen to Johnny Cash and Bob Marley and The Clash because it's all there. Maybe Hank Williams if you're feeling down. All the things are in those songs. Johnny Cash, Bob Marley, Hank Williams, The Clash. That's all you like need. Like what things? The, the bell ringing rock and roll down to the heartbreaking darkest pit they're all there all the emotions are there and all the and all the the wealth of music can be found in those in those things and there's many more but they're the basics like they're like they're the ones i'm just i can depend on if i don't know if i want to listen to something and i don't know what what it is i just flick on one of those guys and it, it tells me what it is um yeah i think it's the big bopper chantilly lace I just have really good memories of that. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail. Yep, that one. Just makes down me happy. the wiggle when you walk. Good singing, guys. Uh, yes, that is a good song. I love it. Um, okay, tell me a good book we should read or a good movie we should watch to help us feel good. Uh, Let's Pretend This Never Happened by Jenny Lawson is the funniest thing I've read in my entire life. Tears streaming down my face. And I really, for some odd reason, think that women only get the humor. I don't know why, but because I had Sean read a passage and he was like, I don't get it. It was hands down the funniest book I've ever read in my entire life. How about you, Sean? Um, I've been watching documentaries mostly, and there was one called Exterminate the Brutes. Oh. Uh, I can't remember his it's name. It's called Rob. The Good Things Podcast. No, but this is, it's not a bad <laughs> thing to, to learn negative things. You can learn from lessons from, from the past. 
and it's uh, it just it, it's this four part documentary. It's a harsh. It's a quote from Joseph Conrad. Uh, that's it's a harsh quote. An unfortunately named documentary by a former Haitian diplomat, academic, who explores the history of um, of black people in America. And but not only that, he digs deeper, and it's like the the concept of white supremacy, manifest destiny, uh, how we came to believe that we were entitled to taking North America for ourselves because we were white and Christian. By Sven Lundquist. No. Sven Lundquist is Raoul Peck is the documentarians. The ideas are. Uh, about from Sven Lundquist. Yes, you're right. The book, uh, but it's about because I often wonder. You look back in history and like, how did we? How could we? What were we thinking when we decided to come into North America and Canada and America and decide to say, like, okay, there's people here. We see these people. Why did we believe that we should just hurt them and take their stuff, their land, their lives? How did we come to that conclusion? What brought us down that path? And this breaks that down. And let me give spoiler alert. The church had a lot to do with it, an awful lot. And uh, he breaks it down and it explains. It doesn't make it any easier to accept, but it explains at least how, in a very practical way, how these, these there's a series of things happened that led to this people that led to the creation of a white supremacist mentality. And um, and we were we acted on it. So, I, I you know, I, I learned a lot. And it's uh, it breaks down like in the pursuit of reconciliation now. I want to understand what my ancestors were thinking. Well, learning about the past uh, and the mistakes of the past, so um, those mistakes are not repeated, is a very good thing. So thank you for that, uh, and thank you guys. This is the last question, and this is my favorite. Tell me something good we should always do for ourselves. You should eat cake. That's a good thing. <laughs> yep, that's a good thing. Not every day, because then it's bad. But every now and then, you should let yourself have a piece of cake, or a big piece of cake. But before you do that, every day, every day, you got to go work out. You got to get outside, and you got to hurt yourself. My motto is help yourself, but what I really mean is hurt yourself just a little bit every day. If for no other reason, then you can have that one piece of cake. <laughs> wise words last word to you Andrea do it anyway just keep going she's that's... talking about sex now and that's, <laughs> oh that's... I'm super <laughs> duper is... not talking about sex this now. is the problem with these podcasts <laughs> this is where it always ends up do it anyway yeah right I'm talking about alright let's go do it then keeping going that's the best thing you can do for yourself one, I think I said it in the book, if you can put one foot in front of the other, just even an inch at a time, you'll be making progress. Guys, thank you so much for chatting. It was good. And it was a thing. It was, it a, was good a good thing. thing. Yeah, it was a good thing. <laughs> Do it anyway. <laughs> Do it anyway. I know we joke about it, but, but Andrea's right. And I think, you know, another way to put that is don't give up, which has been a, a motto uh, in their family in, in some capacity. And, I, and it's something I've learned from them. You know, they, they say it to each other all the time. Don't you give up. 
and I started uh, incorporating that into my own life and saying it to my kids. Don't you give up. I write it on uh, a note sometimes and put it in my son's lunch. Don't you give up today. And I, and I know you can tell from that interview I've got an existing relationship with Sean and Andrea. Um, we're friends. But it doesn't mean that this interview um, is any different than any other interview I do. Like, these topics are not the type of things that I, <laughs> that I talk to them about uh, when we hang out or we get together. So I approach this like any other interview. Um, it's a story that I find fascinating and inspiring. And you know, their book, even, even though I was there for the writing of some of it and they would bounce chapters off me sometimes and use me as a sounding board, I, I was still, when the book came out, and all through it, just in awe of them because of their honesty and vulnerability with each other, it's really powerful. I mean, for anybody who hasn't read it, you really should. It's just unflinching in how, certainly how Andrea says in her chapters, this is actually what was going on while Sean was drinking. And this is how it affected me and our family. So for them to have the strength in the relationship to not only talk to each other about that, but to put it out in the world for everybody else to read, it's, it's unbelievable. And I know I mentioned that Sean has become a renowned mental health advocate and, and a strong voice and supporter for people with addictions and, and, and survivors of sexual abuse. And he's, you know, been awarded the Order of Canada for his work in that area. But what he and Andrea are doing together is equally as powerful. You know, they're now, now that COVID is sort of, we're getting back to normal, they're out doing the book tours together and they're reading from their book. And what they're offering is this glimpse into a fractured, sometimes broken relationship, but showing people that, look, if you don't give up and you love each other enough, you can make it work. And, not, and that's not just for their sake, right? It's for the sake of their kids. And you know, even though they're my friends, I'm just continuously in awe of them and what they've been through and how they've gotten through it. So, there you have it. Thank you for being here, as always. I really appreciate it. Um, if you're listening, you picked this podcast over the other 45 billion podcasts. And I think that's pretty cool, and I appreciate it. If you're so inclined, make sure you subscribe or rate us or leave a comment, share it with a friend. All that stuff helps us get out there into the world with the other podcasts. I appreciate it. Good Things with Matt Wells is produced by me, Matt Wells, and Vince Buddha for Greater Hood Productions. Our theme song is Good Things by Rival Schools. Talk to you next time.